I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Sally Rhodes, Albany poet, playwright. She'll be talking to us about her creative process and sharing her poems. Then I'll be taking a look at Zen and Zen poetry through the translations of Lucian Strike. Stick around, it's going to be a good one. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Albany poet playwright Sally Rose. She's written four plays, the first of which combined poetry and dance, and she's continued to work with dance as she writes her poetry. And her work has been performed all over the country, Chicago, Seattle, Montreal, and even the Philadelphia Fringe Festival. She's currently working on a new performance piece that will be featured in Oslo in 2018. And today she's going to be reading poems from her newest manuscript. So Sally, welcome to Poetry Spoken Here. Thanks. Nice to be here, Charlie. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really glad to do this because I've liked your poetry for a long time. And so I want more people to hear it. And well, you sent me some poems to think about what to read today and uh we talked about the one uh, that mentions Joy Harjo because it just seems to me that it kind of says a lot about you, and that might be a nice way for people to uh, get to know you a little bit right here at the outset. So, uh, what do you have anything to say about that poem before, before you read it? it? It came out very suddenly. I was reading Crazy Brave, and I went literally the first stanza is what happened. I went to get my coffee, and I couldn't get, wait to get back to the book. And uh, so it started with that. And uh, there are so many, um, you know, because I'm from I'm from Akwesasne area, and probably a little Mohawk native in me. It's always been along. People have noticed me, so it was very um, close to my heart reading that book of hers. So this is the poem that came out of it. Sitting with Joy Harjo, came in with my coffee heated, ready to be sipped. One of the joys of morning, your memoir, Crazy Brave, was stirring in me, and I couldn't wait to get back to your pages, where your heart was absorbed in the life you found yourself in. I'm going to go sit with Joy Harjo, I spoke as I poured the coffee, like we'd be having a clutch, catching up with each other over morning coffee. You spoke my heart often on your pages, as you made clear how you got here by being crazy brave. I knew the lingo. I knew suffering. I knew native blood running in my veins that no one spoke of for the shame that would come down on them being known as a dirty Indian. My childhood of suffering adults, a welfare system who didn't take care with my welfare, welfare or that of my brothers. I was startled by your prose that sang and painted itself along the margins of your story, of your heartache, of your beauty, that couldn't be taken away as you swept floors, made beds, cooked food over the hot stove, nestled your babies, fought with your man, and still made art, for art is what saves in the twilight as of the setting sun and the morning dew. I knew we could gab for hours about life and its twists and turns, its elegance and its beauty. We could make camp and share coffee and maybe a biscuit made over an open fire. We were two women poets, artist, singer, actor, and dweller in the worlds many don't want to enter. 
I live there as you do in the comfort it provides, as we listen to the deep voice of the river, as it moves along in the bullfrogs in the night, provide our music and the cicada dance because they must and can't hold their tune inside. Good morning, my friend. May we meet along the highway and catch up each other on our lives. We bear for the joy of knowing, simply knowing what we know is enough. We don't ask for more than the sun to rise each day and the moon to shine its beam down now and then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I love that poem, too. <laughs> and interestingly, she's a, you know, uses music with her performances. Yes. Sir. So she plays a saxophone. And so she's also a multi-arts person like you, uh -huh. which is uh, Besides all the other commonalities, the, the, the whole thing is it, I almost was feeling as you were reading it, this might have been a poem that came pretty quickly. You just started thinking about her and or day, uh, I wrote it um, that same day. I went to get my coffee and um, probably later in the day after it happened, after I was still reading it. Um, yeah, it just came all out. And so I think there's also a part of when I was reading it now, it's about um, you know, I was a mother. I had two children. When I started in this poetry thing in 1990, I took my first workshop with uh, Mark Nepo. And uh, I had a babies, two and five, and they were always with me. So I was always dusting and making beds and, you know, fighting with my man and, you know, all those things. So I think that hit home, too. Yeah, I found it was interesting, at least what you said, is that you went to get your coffee and you were dying to get back to the book. Yes. And I'm, I'm I, lo I love the, the impetus notion with, with creativity and with poetry. I mean, uh, I imagine you noticed, wow, I really want to get back to Joy Harjo. Wow, I really like Joy Harjo. And then you yes. started yes. taking it from there. Yes, yeah. I Yes, I. Uh, it came out all of a sudden and... You know, in that, because it, it was so much a part of me. Her her story felt so real mm -hmm. to me. And uh, and it was nice to read it on a page. So that's it. Uh, people talk about that with poetry. Like one, one of the things that personally benefits us is mm -hmm. the the idea that, oh, someone else has been through what I'm going through. Yes, yes. And so that, that connection there to a person you may have never met, but through the poem, Right. Uh, you get that feeling. I definitely get that I am not alone feeling. Yeah, and I got to go hear her. I heard her up at Adirondack Community College. She was there, and then she was in New York within three oh. weeks. And so I saw her both times, and she played music at the one and gave a lecture at the second. And she said, hi, we see each other again. So I don't know her, but I've met her twice. <laughs> and I adore her. Yeah, she's she's on my side. Yeah, she's so good. Oh, really? And, and uh, when I saw her, she was wearing those ankle, uh, the bells on these oh, big yes. like belt things on her each, each calf. Yes. So she could just barely move her foot and get this great rhythmic thing going. Yeah, it was just yeah. fabulous. Really well, fun. actually, at the New York thing, I asked her if I could. Use, I had recorded some of her flute music, and I said, "Can I use this in my new in a new dance piece?" And she said, "Yes." Yeah. So I used it, and I think it was here and happy at the very end. I I danced to her flute music that I had recorded. So bring it full circle. <laughs> when you find someone you like, stick with them. <laughs> so, so what what does crazy brave mean to you? Well, I've had to be crazy brave. I've had to, um, you know, I don't know if you know my story, but I was, uh, we left my father's house at two and a half and my mother tried to raise uh, me and my two brothers alone. 
without any help. And then uh, she was a drinker, so sometimes she would be overwhelmed. And then my father took her to court. We, she lost custody, and they took me from my mother at six years old. Mm. We had foster care, and then I was uh, abused by um, a man and, and raped and you know by three teenagers. So I've had that story, and so I've had to be crazy brave just to, yeah. just to dance, even to dance. It's, yeah. You know, it's powerful. And I think poetry is, um, I brought a thing I had written, um, I need poetry to catch me, is what I wrote in a journal in 2008. And so poetry is this place that I can go to to feel myself, to find me, I think, after. So I'm crazy brave. <laughs> you know, I've done it. I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. All right. Um, well, beautiful. Let's Let's have another poem. Okay, okay. This next poem is um, from my collection, uh, yellow, fla uh, yellow, yellow Roses and Green Pears. And what that is, is the grief, you know, the grief I've gone through is yellow, and the green pear is what I found, this beauty. Uh, but this starts it, it's a, a full moon. A full moon faces me, looks me right in the eye as I tell my fate one more time what it is I wish to do. Do you know, moon with the long face, have you gathered me in your light you borrow from the sun? I am torn and tattered and mocked for all I have become on this breathless night and moonstruck morning. I am evolved as light penetrates my heart and its ragged edges. Who knew I would arrive here and know my very self for the first time? I am on my knees is as simply as I can say, I am on my knees. And I'm not sure that last line is with gratitude or I, I read it the other day and I think, I think it's gratitude. <laughs> it's not pain. <laughs> no, I, I think that that's what I interpreted. I, I love it. It's just such a great, mm. it was such a great idea that came to you as a way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, I was sitting on the train in New York and I just looked out the window and there was the moon. And so the poem came out like that right on the train, um, which is often what they do. They arrive. So they do come to you rather yeah. sort of full blown. Of course, you go back and noodle, perhaps, probably. Sometimes but. I do. And mostly what I found is I lose my rhythm. So if it's not a mm. great poem, I keep it as not a great poem. And then the next one will probably come out better. So I don't edit a lot because I, I, I am a sound poet. I think I hear it. it. It's not imagery. I mean, some imagery, but it's the sound of the poem that is how I make it, I think. Yeah, you definitely have a rolling rhythm. I remember mm -hmm. just hearing you read last a couple of weeks ago, recently mm -hmm. anyway. And one thing that was very noticeable, no matter what you were saying, mm -hmm. was that the rhythm was just coming on down with the words and the words. And those. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just important, important part of poetry, I think, you know, and uh, you said, what do you have? Do you have anything else to say about the actual uh, oh, the, performance of poetry besides the fact of rhythm? Um, yeah, well, I took, you know, I, I, I was doing my master's at, at SUNY Albany and um, I happened into a performance class. And I went there because I wanted to be better on stage because the first poem I read at Tom Natal's, I was um, at the uh, uh, what is it called? His first place. Oh, at the QE2? The QE2 was my very uh -huh. first moment, March of 1990. And I was terrible. I was like nervous and shaking. And so I went into this class to try to get better at it. And uh, what I found was a whole new world, an abstract thinking world and moving in your body world and tenacity of my body. But it helped me because I think what I do in poetry and performance is I embody the poem. And so when I embody it, it comes out natural, more natural than maybe just read. I mean, I've heard some bad readers. Um, 
Yeah. And I think they don't embody, and I, I have the skill. I mean, it's been hard work and I've worked at it, but the skill is to embody work and embody my, take those words inside me and then deliver them. So even reading them, you can still do that. You want your entire being to say what the words say. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, thank, thankfully I got there and I'm proud, you know, I'm really proud of that. And I, and I love doing it. It makes me feel good too. too. Mm. It makes an audience happier too, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It makes the presentation <laughs> yeah, I do. more compelling. Yeah, I do get annoyed with people forget there's an audience there when they're reading. So <laughs> good to know there's an audience. <laughs> yeah. Let me stand here and look through my manuscript a while. Maybe I'll find the next poem. <laughs> yes. No, thanks. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, good. No, this is great. Mm, uh, what else do you want to do? So my next poem is The Sky is My Witness. Um, do you want me to go through that one? Sure. It's because my father, I say in the first line, my father was a poet, and he wasn't actually a poet. He was a working construction man, but he had that Irish gib and that Irish uh, story. And if you could tell a story at the table, you could get his attention. And I think a lot of us, you know, as kids, we tried to, we finally moved back with my father in uh, mm -hmm. 67 from foster care. So I lived with him, you know, five years at least after that. And, uh, but it was always about, that my father was, I mean, he talked in imagery. It, didn't, it took me years to realize that he was a poet. So anyway, Sky is my witness. My father was a poet and he cradled me far into the clouds of a rainy day. My father was a poet, invited me to swim in knowledge's door on our windswept plain. My father's gracious hold enamored me on moonlit nights and spry days. I walked with freedom in my father's boots, not knowing where he had been in these tattered souls, but ripe to envision a mountain of stars. I walk in cornfields open to the sky. I dance down highways making sweet music with my feet as the tambourine takes its beat. I wander free, the sky is my witness, blue and subtle pink as waves hit the shoreline in a savored beat. I clamor to let me free to bounce from dot to dot to necessity's door blocked with freedom of evermore. I sing a righteous song and quip on a lion's tongue and evil does not bother me for the sweet sunrise attends me as I swiftly run ragged all my extremes of love gone blind on this spry afternoon. That poem for me is nature has what is what held me because the family situation was so upheaval all the time that what I did is I held on to nature, the sky, the moon, uh, the raspberry plants, the little onion plant that I used to walk by every day and I'd pick a little bit off and it would come back and it was and that's what held me and the stars at night. So that poem says that for me. I don't know if it comes through, but that's when I read it. That's what I feel, how much nature is holding and my father's nature too. He was, um, you know, um, he was of the earth. I think the native is from him. And so he was very connected to the earth. And I'm very much like my father. My brothers walk like him, but I am him in many ways. So it's funny. Yeah. And, and the, nature, the natural world was a, a source of stability yeah. with all that instability in, in your, well, social life, let's call it. Yes. Yeah. It but was my stabilizing there. bar. And it's what held me, really. And I think the native culture, you know, because you can go through generations. I always feel like they were there holding me, that there was a force that was holding me against all this stuff I had to go through. When you mentioned dancing down highways, I just noticed 
that and it made me think about when you, when you do your uh, well, you're calling them plays. Are they plays? Are they performance? Yeah. Plays or what are they? Or- uh, my my performance pieces are dance and po- and I speak. I don't read a poem. I don't do it. I I walk on the stage empty and I improvise for an hour. is a is a long piece and then a short piece is twenty minutes. But when I walk on that stage. It's improvisation. Um, I've done my homework. I've written and written and written and thought about mm-hmm. it. And sometimes I've done movement in the studio, but I'm a total improviser. It plays or my plays are totally genre, you know, um, characters talking to each other in a dialogue. Sense. So it's a different, it's different. I keep it over there. It's more my logic. I was a reporter for a while also. And so I think a poet and a reporter produce a playwright because you're always thinking of ideas and um, you know, I'm very political. I, you know, watch every mm. governor makes the president makes the people make and um, you know, what's going on in the world because I am still a reporter, even though I'm not practicing now, but I think like a reporter. I, think. I, I always, I'd like to think of poets as like, if you think of the old West, they're like the advanced scouts. They go out and then they report back like what's out there. Yes. And, and uh, I think, one one role for poets anyway is to to be our sort of advanced scouts as as a culture yes. as a society so you're looking and you're watching and and then you're telling the rest what's to come yeah yeah often um i like that idea of the scout it is a scout because i'll find that i've written a poem and then six months later I go, oh, I'm there now. So that was my lead into coming into this life. You know, like it always does that. Six months later, I've arrived where the poem was. So yeah. it is a scout. I like that idea, scout. How did you evolve to the poetry when you had the young children? And and then you, it's like, then the poetry came into your life or yeah. writing poetry came uh, in. I, I started, I wrote my first poem down in uh, Miami as a nurse. I was a nurse down, I was an, I'm also a registered nurse. I graduated in 77 from nursing school and lived in Miami three years. And I was in a relationship and he had to go back home. And I wrote The Wall, it was my very first poem. Um, it was July 14th, 1978. But then when I came back, I got married. And I just used to write scribbles, you know, and I didn't know they were poetry. And I called the Hudson Valley Writers Guild and I talked to them. I don't know who I talked to. I would love to know. Maybe it was Helen, maybe, you know, Helen. Uh, right. I said, I think I'm a poet, but I don't know. And I said, you think I could come down? Absolutely. Please come down. <laughs> so I think that was my daughter was a toddler. She was probably 18 months. So that was 86, 1986 was when I was getting the inkling that this became a language for me. Cause I had written all these poems, you know, about my mother, about, um, you know, losing her and, and just being invisible. I felt invisible as a child, I think, cause I, you know, I had nobody to hang on to, but, but the raspberry bush really, I mean, I had foster mothers and I had, um, you know, I, I had people, my parents loved me to pieces and it wasn't their fault. It was the court system who stepped in and took over and ruined our lives. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I had love. It wasn't that I didn't have love. It was a way of me to capture those moments that I was healing, trying to heal. And I showed them to, uh, Helen e. Lamb at SUNY because I loved her. I loved everything about her. I wanted to be her with her black, long black hair and coffee and, um, you know, had no brilliance. That's who I wanted to be. And so I showed her and she sent me to Judy Johnson, who sent me to Mark Nepo. And that's how it began. And Mark was really, he fleshed out those early poems for me, with me. 
Uh, I owe him a debt. <laughs> it's a great tribute to the poetry community. Also shows the importance of little local poetry or literary poetry organizations like yeah. the Hudson Valley Writers Guild, which isn't so small these days, but no. just, you know, a little group that, that's together and they're there and you can find them. It has a name. Right. And the people who, who make those kind of groups uh, are very, they're universally very welcoming. Yeah, if you yeah. come in new and say, I'm interested, they'll say, wow, well, come on. You know? Come on down, yes, yes. Come down, well, come to the reading. In the Mark Nepo workshop, Nur Cheyenne worked with Tom Natal at the health, I think the health department. So Nur goes, you must go read, go find Tom Natal and go read your poems out. And that's who sent me to Tom. And I think it was March of 1990. I braved myself to the QE2 and, and I was very much not my crowd. I saw the blood on the, the skeletons and the blood dripping on the ceiling. I said, Oh, I'm out of my territory here. But it was, uh, you know, I found Thomas too, and Dan. I met Dan. And, you know, yeah. the rest is history 27 years later. Yeah. And for people who don't know, the QE2 was a one of these, a black walled nightclub. Pretty funky. Yeah. Typically featured two unknown bands from Boston. Uh huh. Uh -huh. That's the way had, I characterize it. Yeah, but we had the last, uh, last Monday was Tom's poetry. It was poetry night there, yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people. Alan, I saw Alan Ginsberg there too, which was a treat. So A lot of people read there for the first time. Yes, uh, yes. I think it was the only gig in town then, really, almost. Mm -hmm. There was a few yeah. other places. Yeah. Well, um, let's, let's do another one while we still have oh. some time. Okay. This I wrote last summer. I had gone up to... Um, uh, Mount Joe. I brought Ken Hayda over. He, well, I didn't bring. I brought him up to the mountain. He came over to Albany to read at, mm -hmm. at Cafe Lena, and uh, he wanted to go hiking. So this was after we went hiking, climbing Mount Joe. The comfort of sweetness accompanies accompanied us up the mountain through rock, through flowers, through moss, through mud, and at the end, a ladder. We climb Mount Joe as tough and resilient as we are in our reaching for sight of a mountain peak. Is that not what poets do? Seek, climb, observe, watch, understand in a glimpse the nuance before us that reaches for us in its cathedral-like ambience. Mountains move a centimeter each year, and yet it is infinitesimal in its movement. Do we feel the earth as we climb over its rock, its tree roots, its smell as sumptuous as dinner cooking over an open flame? The quiet in the mountain restores order and affinity to take up the notion that one can climb, one can see, one can be dazzled by what is just before their eyes. We climbed with other up the steep pathways and hikers coming back from the precipice. It is the climb that captures the poetry and the sublime. The birds twitter by in their open green space, held to by like minds, not to disturb this wildness, not to let it go into a developed land of ownership. We don't own land. We are just as caretakers for this moment only. There is no certainty in the wild as we climb Mount Joy. Joe to take in its luscious view that we presume will be there tomorrow and the next day and the next. But will it be, will it, if it is not cared for in all its bounty as humans need to feast on now and again? Can we shape history with our presence of mind? Can we bring the future to bear? We don't know, but we ascribe to a vision that keeps it, the majestic in all of us, sauntering forward onto the land we cannot own, 
only care for, caretake for these present moments of time, space, air, fruit, and field. The quiet reaches us in the physical of climbing toward a goal that will loosen our eyes and hold our tongue to hear nature's divine that holds us as we hold to its very buoyant gathering of animal and fauna. As we retrace our steps down the mountain, we know we have found a peace that will hold us in the dust of day. There are times when need and duty are bound up in a life lived fully open. <laughs> There's a lovely example of, of uh, I think, the difference between poetry and prose. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it would be so easy for someone to just simply say these sort of same ideas, but to just say them mm -hmm. without the elaboration and without the accompanying emotion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I like poetry. I like to sing. I like it's, it's. I think it's singing in so many ways, and 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 the imagery is is you know it comes out <laughs> comes out that way. But I, I'm a naturalist. I mean, I believe all those things too. Like we must keep the environment safe. We have to, you know, hold on to it. And it's you know we can't own land. And I think that's the native part of me that says that. Yeah. And this this poem's an example of how a specific instance can bring out that whole. Uh, array of ideas that are that are really deep in you as a person yeah 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 i called up a lot well sally you have any, <laughs> any parting words <laughs> uh, well it's been a pleasure to talk to you charlie and it's a pleasure that you're back from chicago because i i saw you before you left and, and i've always heard about you so now it's um you know i love poetry and poetry is my first language i think what i wrote to is that um it is how i think and feel and and how i move through the world so it's good to read it out on a public thing and it's good to be here nearby to get to hear you read periodically live and in person yeah <laughs> I am an open mic poet. <laughs> well, a true pleasure. Thank you so much for okay. inviting me to this. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here with our feature from Albany, New York, Sally Rhodes. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Sally Rhodes from Albany, New York. And now I'd like to take a little look at Zen poetry. It's a big topic, uh, and Zen is not easy to explain. In fact, I won't even try. I will just say that uh, Zen is, is both a way of being and of living. Its goal is enlightenment, which you could say is characterized by a high level of awareness and an attitude of let be. With a Zen attitude... What is, is what is. I'm just going to read a few Zen poems translated by one of the great translators of the 20th century, Lucian Strike, S-T-R-Y-K, taught for a long time at Northern Illinois University, was then emeritus for some years, and unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But he did some of the best Zen poetry translations. Here's one. Strike was particularly taken with Shinkichi Takahashi, who was perhaps the greatest Japanese Zen poet of the 20th century. He did a whole book of Tachahashi's work, and this is one of those poems, reflecting, I think, a Zen attitude. 
words. I don't take your words merely as words. Far from it. I listen to what makes you talk, whatever that is, and me listen. Words from Takahashi, translated by Lucian Strike. Here's another. The poet is Ryushu. He wrote back in the 14th century. Why bother with the world? Let others go gray, bustling east-west. In this mountain temple, lying half in, half out, I'm removed from joy and sorrow. You get that acceptance and that, that understanding that there's basically a yin and yang to everything. This next poem, again, is a typical reflection from a Zen point of view about how life is lived. It's from Ryokan, well-known poet, R-Y-O-K-A-N. There are numerous books of his translations available. This is from Strike. Spring come again. After moody wintering indoors, I left the hermitage with begging bowl. The village children played in long-awaited sun. I bounced ball with them, chanting, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They bounced while I sang. They sang while I bounced. So I've wasted joyfully a whole spring day. And finally, two poems, um, a pair of poems, Living in the Mountain, one and two. The poet is Sin of Cayuho from the 10th century. What good is world, profit, fame? Halfway down the path of scarlet mist, travelers worry over graying hair. Cold winds remind them how alone they are. At sunset, cicada's song. Who'd take the hermit farther by deep waters under thick clouds? Living in the mountains, too. It's not easy to live in the mountains, prattling their ignorance, envying my life under moonlit clouds, rainy wind, where paths snake through the rocky valley. My discipline's not all that much. As you listen to these end poems, you may have the feeling that they are deeply profound, or that they're pretty simplistic, or maybe just vague and don't say much. It's going to be an individual response. If this topic interests you, a great source to start with is Lucian, L-U-C-I-E-N, Strike, S-T-R-Y-K. His books are readily available. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, 
you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>